0: Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. Two things happened this week that I thought was very interesting. Number One, my friend Jack Andrews recorded an interview which you and I are going to listen to uh after this introduction and uh And it just just reminded me of the power of stories and then the other thing is I got a call from my college roommate brad i won't leave it, live it, I won't give out his last name because he wanted me to be a little circumspect about what they're thinking of doing. But Brad called me, and like I said, Brad's been a friend of mine for over 40 years. We go way back, have a lot of history together. Well, when we were in college, spring break rolled around, and we decided we didn't want to sit around the, uh, the apartment for the spring break. We wanted to go do something. Now, Brad had a car, but it was uh, not the best and most reliable car. And I really didn't have a car that was reliable either. But we decided, well, what the hell, let's have an adventure. So we decided to hitchhike down to Lake Powell. Now from Logan, Utah to Lake Powell, it's about a five-hour drive in the most direct route. And we were going to be going down to the city of Kanab, uh, which was where the Waweep Marina is on Lake Powell. And we thought we'd go down and just hang around... uh, the shoreline and have a good time. We start hitchhiking out of Logan. The first person that picks us up is a professor from Utah State, teaches political science, a well-respected professor, one that students liked a lot. And he gave us a ride down to Provo. He was heading down to BYU for some, I think it was some sort of a sports event, but I'm not positive what it was. So he drops us up in Provo. And in Provo, we get picked up by three uh, BYU uh, male students that are headed south for the weekend to go party, get drunk and party out in the desert, or out in southern Utah. So they pick us up and they drive us south. Continue driving south. Uh, I forget exactly where they drop. Anyway, we were not on the interstate. We are on the road that parallels the interstate that heads into the national parks. I forget the name of the road or the number of the road but they drop us off. But this is still the most direct route to Kanab. So we're on the road to Kanab, Utah. But they drop us off as as the sun is going down, uh, up in the hills where there's no intersection, no town, uh, nothing. It's just an intersection they drop us off at. And so we start hitchhiking from there, and cars go by, and cars go by, and cars go by, and nobody picks us up. And finally, I don't know, it was maybe 9 or 9.30 or 10 o'clock at night, a, a a truck comes by, a pickup truck that's towing a trailer, and he picks us up, and he's headed to Phoenix, and he's got his motorcycle in the trailer behind this truck. And so we start talking back and forth, and he starts telling stories, and he tells some some of the most fascinating stories I've ever heard, and I can't remember a single one of them, but I just remember they were fascinating stories. As uh, As we approach Kanab, it's now about three or... Yeah, probably about three in the morning or two in the morning. And we go to Kanab and i turn to my friend Brad and I said, you know what? He's headed to Phoenix. Let's just ride with him on to Phoenix. He's fascinating. He's got good stories to tell. Let's just ride with him to Phoenix. And so we did. We stayed with him all night long. We helped keep him awake by letting him tell us great stories. And when we arrive at Phoenix, I turned to my friend Brad and I said, you know, I met this girl who was going to the University of Phoenix or the University of Arizona or Arizona State University I'm not sure which one it was but the, the university that's in Tucson Arizona said let's hitchhike down there and, and I can look her up and so I met her skiing that winter and so I said yeah oh, she was a really cool girl I wanted to see her again well we get down to Tucson so we hitchhike down to Tucson and of course she's not there and we're getting pretty tired about this point in time so we go to the Pi Kappa Alpha Fraternity House. I was a member of the Pi Kappa Alpha Fraternity at Utah State, so I just went to the Pi Kappa House down there and said, hey, can we uh, crash on your floor, on your couch for a while? And they say, sure. And so we catch some sleep, and the next morning we have to start heading back. So we start hitchhiking, and we get a ride up to Phoenix. And the most direct route back up to Logan is, again, heading directly the way we came down, up to uh Lake Powell, uh, up to Kanab and that direction. But nobody's going that way. Very few cars are going the most direct route. So we change tactics and we decide to head towards Las Vegas instead. And we, after we do this, after a fairly short period of time, we get picked up by a car headed to Phoenix, driver that's headed to Las Vegas. And he had been to a wedding the night before, drank way too much, and had a terrible hangover. And the first thing he did... Is he pulls into a Seven Eleven, buys two six packs of beer, tells Brad that he's going to be the driver, and he and I start drinking beer. And along the way, we pick up another hit, two hitchhikers, a, a male and female hitchhiker, and we're we're all in the back telling stories, having a party, having beer. <laughs> My friend Brad is being the sober driver, and he drives us on into Las Vegas. Well, on that trip or on that that particular section of the highway i kept hearing the song on the radio midnight at the oasis by maria Mulder. midnight at the oasis send your camel to bed shadows painting on The romance in our head, heaven's holding a half moon, shining just for us. Let's slip off to a sand Every time I hear that song now, I think about this, this this road trip I went on with my friend Brad. Anyway, he drops us off in Las Vegas. <laughs> this is late afternoon in Las Vegas, and school starts the next morning. And so we're hitchhiking there at this exit in Las Vegas, and thousands of cars are going by us, and nobody's picking us up. But then a father and daughter pick us up and the father had just been to las vegas with the daughter for a cheerleading competition that she was involved in and as i recall that's that's what i remember and they are headed up to i think preston idaho and they drop us off right at our apartment in logan utah about three in the morning and uh, I'm, i'm at school the next the next day now, it's a great story. It's one that uh, when my friend called me up, it reminded me of that. But also, when Jack Andrews wrote me an email this week and he said, Hey, Franz, I went around and I collected an interview from one of the people here in the marina in Sicily. It made me think of the power of stories and the power of storytelling and and why this trip eventually happened, this hitchhiking trip. Why Why did I go from Kanab or why did I go from Utah all the way down to Phoenix and create this memory? It was because of the guy that was driving telling fascinating stories. I love storytelling and I love uh, sharing stories with other people and I love to hear other people's stories. And When I initially started my first website, the the name of the website was uh, Travel Trade Exchange and the intention of the website was that people were going to record their stories primarily travel stories and we would I would share them uh, on the podcast and it never really worked out it turned out no I I wasn't able to get uh, people to share their stories and I got tired of telling my own stories I did interview a few people and I've played one of my favorite interviews of Jack Quinn on this podcast in the past of his traveling and I may do that again in the future or just replay that one because John's long dead, but his story lives on. I I was really happy to to have Jack write me an email saying, Franz, here's a recording I did of an interview. Neil Fletcher has also done this. But I'm just going to encourage you, if you have stories or if you know people that have stories, go record them and record them preferably in wave format. But if you can't do a wave format file, do an MP3 file and upload it to Dropbox or someplace and Send me a link and let me download it, and as long as it meets our high, high standards, I'll play it on the air. I, we, everybody has stories, and we all know people that have stories, so let's share them. All right, before we move on, let me thank my sponsor, Sailrite. This show is sponsored in part by Sailrite. Since 1969, Sailrite has been equipping self-sufficient sailors with tools, supplies, and knowledge they need to sew for their boats. This second-generation family business is also the maker of the Sailrite Ultrafeed Sewing Machine. The Ultrafeed is a portable, heavy-duty sewing machine that was designed to handle all your maritime sewing projects from sails to covers. At Sailrite, you'll find everything you need to take on your next do-it-yourself project including fabric, tools, hardware, and even hundreds of free how-to video tutorials. Start your next project at Sailrite.com. That's S-A-I-L-R-I-T E.com. I need to finish part of the conversation I had with my friend Brad. Well, basically, Brad called me up. He and his son were on the phone with me in a conference call. His son is thinking of selling the business and going and buying a boat and going sailing. And he wanted to know my opinion. I said, do it. Do it now. You can always come back and get a job. Do it while you can. Do it while you're young. Share that experience with the kids and go ahead and do it. And his plan was to buy a powerboat. And I said, well, why the heck do you want a powerboat? And he said, well, I don't know how to sail. And I said, Brandon, listen, if, if I can learn to sail in Salt Lake City, Utah, you living down on Balboa Island in Newport Beach can certainly learn how to sail down there. Let me put you in touch with my friend Bud Elam, who's a member of the Balboa Yacht Club. And he can get you, as a crew member on some of the boats down there, uh, as you, know, just, just like falling off a log. That'd be the easiest thing in the world. I said, just go out and start crewing and, learning how, and learn how to sail. And I left it at that. But I strongly encouraged him to be irrational and quit his job and go buy a boat and go sail. And I encouraged him to buy a boat in the Mediterranean. Because his point was, they want to share experiences with the family. They want to have more experiences, foreign experiences. I said, well, if you want to have foreign experiences, the Mediterranean is the place to go. We'll see what happens. He said they're just in the early stages of thinking about this. I'm not sure if they'll go through with it or not. Anyway, let's get on to... Get ready for today's mailbag. I like getting emails from my friends out there, so if you have any thoughts, comments, suggestions, or questions, write me franz1 at medsailor.com or use the contact form at the website. Now for today's emails. All right, only one email this week. It's from Dorian Nissenbaum. He says, Hello Franz, I enjoy listening to your podcast. I'm from Israel, even sailed with Howard Clayman in Greece. Last year I took a boat in Go Check, Turkey and sailed for a week. It was awesome. This June I plan to take a boat for a week in Marmaris and sail west along the shore. Do you recommend, I think he means to say, what do you recommend about this area west to Marmaris? I do not believe it's as beautiful as Gocek, Fethiye area. Uh, Any special place to visit? I'm also afraid due to the political atmosphere in Turkey. Thanks, Dorian. Or Duran. D-O-R-O-N. Duran. Well, Duran... I originally, I thought that you were bringing your own boat up, but then after rereading your email, it looks to me like you're probably chartering a boat in Marmaris. And if that's the case, then there's some things you can do that uh, would be a lot of fun. I've sailed that area and all the way down to Coach- Go-Check, and I pulled out Google Earth, so let me zoom in and... Marmaris itself, the Bay of Marmaris itself, is a very well-protected bay, but <coughs> it's um, just a big city. Just a big city. Uh, as you go west, there's a couple little indents that you can do an overnight on. A couple little restaurants. Uh, you'll see them along the coast. I don't think I've got. I don't think I've got my Turkish water pilot here at the office. Let me take a quick look. Here. Nope. Anyway, there's a couple little places where you can anchor. And they're about a day's sail from Marmaris. There's a there's a place just around the corner from Marmaris where you could pull in and drop your hook. Leaving Marmaris, there's a little from the entrance to Marmaris called Siftlik, C I F T L I K, and there's some um, there's some docks that come out. You might be able to tie up to the dock. Uh, it's a nice, crystal clear anchorage. That would probably be, be my first stop after leaving Marmaris. And you'll probably have lots of company uh, since Marmaris is a uh, is a bit of a yacht charter area. Then further along the coast, there's a couple little indentations, a couple of them with little restaurants that I've stopped in. Uh, but for me... Um, you know i would just head out around the peninsula and go into the gulf of dorius and in the gulf of dorius you're going to have hundreds of places that you can stop and anchor and kick around in and i would say it's maybe not quite as nice as Go-Check, but it's not very far down the line from Go-Check. i've spent many many weeks sailing around the gulf of dorius and uh, Bosburn, the town of Bosburn, is one of my favorite places to stop in at. And there's lots of little anchorages in the bay where the town of Bosburn is located. There's another bay to the east of Bosburn, but that's very deep anchorages, so not very many places over there to anchor. But in the Gulf of Darius, uh there's oh multiple places, multiple places where you can drop your, drop your hook, have a great time, lots of little restaurants and shops. Uh, there's a little town of Selmin, Selimi, which has lots of restaurants that encourage you to tie up and come visit the restaurants. Uh, Ketchabuku is a place that's, uh, or uh, I, the, the, there's a marina called Ketchabuku, but the actual town is Orhiny, O-R-H-A-N-I-Y-E, uh, that's a great place to anchor. Right across the bay, right across from Orhani, Orhani is a is a is a deep little um, sort of fjord that you can go into, and uh, and pretty much all the land surrounding it is is owned by the Turkish military, and they have camp spots and um, and places for uh, the Turkish military to take vacations. And there's places to anchor in there, and I've spent some time anchored in there as well. Uh, There's a few anchorages, they get filled up pretty fast, so get over there early in the morning. The story, and and, uh, kind of a little story, we we were sailing around there. Let me see if I can find the name of this place: Darasek Buku. There's a little bay called Darasek Buku, and if you look at it on the chart, it basically looks like a shoe. Uh, a right, uh, a foot, a right foot. You can see a heel and a toe, and a, and uh, you can come in that bay, and we've anchored in there. It's got good holding, good protection, and a few years ago we were anchored in there for a couple nights. Nice little anchorage there, beautiful, crystal clear water, and there were a couple girls that were uh, living on a fishing boat. And they would read and study their books during the day and in the evening they would take their rowboat and row around to the other boat try to sell some of the handicrafts that they had made over the winter. We bought some of their handicrafts and talked to them about what they did and they were college students and this is how they made money in the summer. We come to find out later on in the trip, we talked to somebody and share this share this story with them, and he said, "Oh yeah, that those girls are from our village, and they do very well making money doing that in the summer." But they they weren't pristine conditions. They lived on the boat. They cooked on the boat. Uh, I think the boat belonged to their uncle or their father or somebody like that. And the little restaurant at the toe of this little bay was owned by one of their relatives, so they could go around there and get fresh water when they needed it. And uh, it was an interesting little anchorage, an interesting uh, experience to talk to these girls. So no, I, uh, I like I say, Gocek is probably a little farther stepped up as far as places to go, but also Gocek, as you know, is one of the most crowded places to sail in Greece, and becoming more and more crowded every year. Uh, so you'll enjoy the Gulf of Doria's. Um, make sure you time yourself. It'll take you at least. Well, you might be able to get around there in one day, but, boy, you're going to be uh, moving all day long to get around the corner. Uh, you can also, if you want to leave Turkey and go over to Greece, you've got the island of Simi, which you can visit, and also roads to the south, but I'm not sure how many. You said you have about a week. Uh, just getting around to the Gulf of Dorius and back to Marmaris in a week uh, would be a a, a pretty... Pretty tough to do. Let me suggest that you might instead look at chartering the boat out of uh, the marina in uh, Orhaini. Uh, It's called Marti Marina. And uh, that little bay I I always referred to as Ketchabuku. But if you can get a charter out of Marti Marina instead of out of Marmaris, you would be further ahead. And it's easy to get a bus from Marmaris uh, over to Orhaini. Uh, to Marti Marina in Orhaini, I've done it. I've taken buses back and forth between Marmaris and Orhaini as I've had crew that have, have flown into Marmaris and I've had to go get them and bring them to the boat. So that would be my suggestion. That's a great place. The Gulf of Dorius is a great place to sail in Turkey, One of my uh, probably my second favorite place behind Gocek, but not that far behind my first fa- favorite place of Gocek. So that's it for letters this week. that's it for today's emails if you have any thoughts suggestions or comments or questions write me franz1 at medsailor.com or use the contact form at the website if you want to do me a big favor you could become a patreon of the podcast I have a few listeners out there that are already patrons and I'm looking for more if you have some spare change that you could throw my way once in a while please sign up at patreon.com backslash medsailor And one more thing, if you like the podcast, I would really appreciate it if you could take the time to write a review of the podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast directory. All right, let's get on to today's episode. Well, like I said, today is a correspondent interview conducted by Jack Andries in Sicily.
1: Hello, this is Jack Andrews. I'm doing an interview of Paul Manzano on uh, Mrs. Chippy at Marina de Ragusa for Franz's Sailing in the Mediterranean podcast. I'm at Marina de Ragusa with Paul Manzano on his uh, 50-foot Beneteau, Mrs. Chippy, and I'm doing this interview for Franz for the Sailing in the Mediterranean podcast. So um, Paul's new to sailing in the Mediterranean, but uh, he's now been here since uh, October, or actually November, is that right? Uh, it was about November, at Marina de Ragusa? At Marina de Ragusa. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he bought his boat last summer, and I'll hand the microphone over to him, and he could maybe tell us a little bit about the process of buying his boat Um, a history of him and his sailing, uh, and this last summer and the winter on the boat, which is probably a lot of information, but, uh, here it is. Thanks, Paul.
2: Yeah. So I guess I'll start with, um, the boat. It's a 50 foot Beneteau, uh, it's three cabins and, uh, was a 2003 that we bought in Turkey uh, Marmaris Yacht Marina in Turkey. The, uh, the process of buying the boat was, uh, it was, it was tough. I think maybe I'll back up a little bit, um, and say, and talk about my life in the States. So I was an engineer 13 years. Um, my wife and I have five kids. Uh, we, we sailed around, uh, the Lake Tahoe, Nevada area for quite a quite a while I started right out of college uh crewing for uh one of my bosses and then when he moved on, my wife and I bought a little twenty one sail foot sailboat that we sailed with our kids, and we always wanted to go sailing around the world um, but it you know. It was kind of the retirement plan was to, to go sailing around the world, right? And uh, we we made some decisions on some investment decisions. We bought, a, we bought a big house when the market was down. We thought it would be a great investment and we'd be living in it forever. And before we knew it, we had two mortgages, kids in private school, um, working our butts off, never seeing each other. And... The idea of sailing. This was right around the time when La Vagabond was becoming big in YouTube, you know, and uh, eventually got to the point where we we knew we had to downsize. We had to sell some stuff. We had to to regroup because we were just too busy, and um, we put our houses on the market. And I just asked my wife. I said, Jessica. <laughs> Uh, What do you think about going sailing now? And she said yes. I don't know if she really understood what she was saying, but I never asked again because I didn't want to get a different answer. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And and from about that point, that was um, probably a year before we actually sold the house. Uh, We started looking at boats all around um, the California coast and some up in Washington and Oregon as well, but um, what we found was we couldn't really afford uh, a boat that would fit our family in the States. It was, they were either older boats that are narrow and less space underneath and lots of work that needed to be done, or they were uh, just, just too small for us, right? A lot of kind of blue water stuff that, has two cabins and tons of storage but you need storage for kids too so
1: yeah and um so so originally you were looking at buying a boat in the states where were you going to sa- uh, sail to if you bought a boat in California
2: The Sea of Cortez Sea Cortez has always been one of those places that I've wanted to to visit my folks lived in Mexico for a while and we took some vacations in the Sea Cortez and um there were a few times where i saw cruisers out there and just realized that was somewhere i wanted to be
1: with my own boat right yeah and so so therefore you came across to the med and it was affordability and um the right size boat at an affordable price but it must be, you know. Well, I know what it was like for me. It was fairly difficult to um, to line up boats to see and and then come and choose a boat and buy a boat. What what was that like for you? Was that um, a process that was difficult, or did you find that easy? So our
2: approach was to make appointments with Californian um, brokers and see the boats that we wanted to buy, and then go online and find them cheaper in the med,
0: right
2: <laughs> yeah. uh so we we looked at a lot of a lot of boats um unfortunately they wouldn't let us on a 50 footer <laughs> they saw our car and said "Ah, oh, nah." <laughs> <laughs> but we did we did see a a, a do four yeah
1: 43
2: which is kind of that you know Charter layout it. There's a lot of space downstairs It's really focused on getting a lot of people and maybe not a lot of stuff and but we knew that, that that's what we wanted when, Once we saw it. So yeah. and then we went on to yacht world and found a boat that was in our price range um, For example, this 50 footer was the same year as the 43 But we paid less for this Beneteau then we would have paid for the 43 to 4 in the San Francisco area.
1: Right, yeah. yeah.
2: So that, that's, and, and when you're talking, you know, 8 feet, that's a lot of boat.
1: Yeah, it's a lot of boat space. And and, and also, obviously, the width of it, but uh, the, the beam is bringing you extra space. So what's what was the process? Like, when you found this boat, was it the first boat you found? Was it the 10th? that you looked at, you know, how, how did that happen?
2: So we didn't have the budget to go, you know, to, the, to Europe and kind of see a bunch of boats. Um, we made an offer on two other boats. Uh, they didn't accept them. The, the, the guy who sold this to us accepted the offer for this boat, and so we put a down payment on it and, and flew over. We knew that it value for money, it would be better than what we could get in the states, and so we made the the leap of faith and just got on a plane and and showed up
1: and w- where was the boat and uh which country was it registered in
2: so the boat is in Turkey <clears throat> um in a in a place called Marmaris in the yacht marina there it's a really great marina the uh
1: so Marmaris.
2: Yeah, some Marmaris. Let me get my train of thought back. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, Actually, you know what? Let's let's pause it there and just check to see how we've gone with that recording. So. All right. All right so uh, we're back here. I we were just interrupted by my phone going off, but uh, here is Paul back, and I think we were talking about the boat being in Marmaris uh, during the purchase process. So here you go, Paul. So yeah, we made
2: the offer on the boat. Um, we actually made an offer on another boat that was accepted, but when I talked to the broker about it, uh, it was in Greece, he told me that the deletion process for um, for Greece was four weeks long, and so I didn't go for it. And I talked to the broker in this particular boat, and he said, oh, it'll just be a week, don't worry about it. And um, he, uh, it was kind of a lesson for me, and probably a lesson for everyone else, uh, you you should go with the person that's being more realistic than the person that's uh, kind of talking through rose-colored glasses, because um, the the actual process of buying the boat takes a long time. We showed up in uh, we showed up in Turkey in the last week of July. We got to the airport, uh, went out. To the rental place, and they said, uh, "I'm sorry, uh, the car that you reserved doesn't exist. We don't have any cars that can fit seven people." And we mm-hmm. <laughs> so then we had no way of contacting the uh, the owner of the boat or the broker. Um, we walked out to the 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 taxi place, and it took them a half an hour to find a guy who knew a cousin who had a brother who uh, had a had a taxi that could fit. All of us and all of our luggage. I mean, we had each person had two <laughs> enormous duffel bags that were each twenty kilos. So mm. it was quite a bit of stuff. And um, the taxi guy got, gets us to the gets us to the hotel room. And the hotel room the, ho- the hotel tells us, uh, "I'm sorry, we've never heard of you before, and we're full." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, so.
1: As the adventure has
2: begun. Yes, exactly. We get to the ho- we get they finally find us after like 2 hours and the taxi guy wants to leave so bad. He's but he he stayed. We paid him a little bit extra. They give us a room. The room is burning hot on the top, top story. Uh, it it was it was 100 degrees Fahrenheit there and we had the very top room with no air conditioning. And, um, everyone is just miserable. And I'm thinking, what have I done? I just sold everything. I, uh, put my life savings into this boat that I haven't seen yet. And I can't actually contact this person. Are we going to, was this a mistake? So... The next day, it did get better though. We get we got a taxi to the 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 marina, and they recognized our names. Finally, somebody recognized us. We walked up to the boat, and it was um, it was really shabby looking. <laughs>
1: right. It was
2: really shabby looking, and so you, you had that second. Oh my God, what did, what have I gotten into? Um. But after. After spending three days with the owner, looking at the boat and with a surveyor, um, there were some definite drawbacks. The teak on the on the boat needs to be replaced. Uh, but it was something that we could live on. We can fit our, we could fit our family in it comfortably. <coughs> with a few, thank you. thank you. With a few modifications, we were able to make it almost like home. We replaced uh, the nav table with a a washing machine, um, you know those types of things, just to give us some of the comforts that we had before. And then the the kind of registration process began, and that was another really stressful time that we thought, oh no, have we made another mistake? Can we even get this boat registered? It took it took us seven weeks to get the actual. Paper from the Coast Guard, so that we could leave Turkey. Um, <clears throat> in the meantime, we had a, a copy, a, a PDF copy of the bill of sale, um, that the marina accepted and allowed us to live on the boat.
1: Right. So, so you were you were stuck in Marmaris probably longer than you expected to be. <sighs> Uh, Very, yeah, and, but you were living on the boat at this stage. Is that is that right? That's right. So we were able to live on the boat
2: while we did the paperwork to get it registered. But we were not allowed to leave the marina. Yeah. And at at certain points, it it there was questions about whether we could even get it registered in the states. We submitted three rounds of paperwork <clears> to
1: right. <coughs> And and uh, at the time that you're in Marmaris, but uh, the advantage of being there is, of course, you were able to um, get some work done on the boat as well. So That's right. I think you were, you were going to install a water maker. Um, you were uh, <laughs> you put solar in on the boat. Um, you added the washing machine, but you also added a freezer. You added air conditioning.
2: Yes, yes, we did. Yeah. So we did. We did a lot of modifications to the boat in that time which which was a good thing for us the kids learned to swim as well there was a pool so the mateo our youngest who's five who's five now who's four then he learned to swim during that time so that was good um the the modifications that we did that we were really happy with after we left were the solar we added a almost it's 780 watts i think of of solar panels Plus there are, um, we added another four batteries. So we ended up with about a thousand amp hours of battery power and we added a conventional air conditioner. So just a a normal air conditioner here, here in Europe, there are usually these two two part units that you can put one inside and then the other one uh, on the outside.
1: Yeah. So that's just like a normal split system that you would put in a house in a room. Yeah.
2: Yep. And, uh, that was that was something that we didn't expect to do
1: but that's quite a unique setup for boats because boats usually have uh specific air conditioners that are designed or marinized and uh are fairly pricey like what did it cost you to put, to put this split system in it
2: cost me 500 euros um which which sounds like a lot but I got a a a marinized you know conventional boat air conditioner quoted for the boat and they wanted 7000 euros for it. Yeah. So it was a it was a steal. It was kind of a no-brainer and I put it in. The the other upside to it is it's cooling, it's 600 watts. And we have 780 watts of solar. So
1: so it's in the peak of the the day when it's the hottest, you can use the solar the same heat to uh cool the boat down. Exactly.
2: Down yeah, yeah, it is great. So and that's I think one thing you find the same thing with our freezer uh, we we wanted to upgrade the freezer we, uh, we wanted to upgrade the freezer and um, they came in and told us 1200 euros and I said no way we went down to the the grocery store and bought a uh bought a conventional chest freezer with way more room for 100 euros you know So yeah. it's great
1: yeah and so uh, and and the nav table modification was was pretty pretty good too how you you don't have a nav table but you do have a washing machine in there <laughs> now which uh with with number of kids on board and living on board makes makes a huge difference now one question uh, in respect to boat registration and so forth. It, it, maybe you could tell us about how long it actually took. But but also um, an interesting point is is the boat name. Do you want to speak about that? Okay. Yeah. So the the boat name is Mrs. Chippy, and when
2: we when we made the offer on the boat, the first thing we said was we're changing that name. That is the craziest, weirdest name. We're not gonna stick with this name. Uh, We showed up in Marmaris, and uh, the owner, his name's John Blackborough, walks off the boat and introduces himself. And he tells us he is the the grandson of uh, Blackborough, Now, his name's skipping my mind now, but the Blackborough that was on the Shackleton expedition. His father was actually the only stowaway on the boat. Um, or his grandfather was the only stowaway on the boat. He got on the boat in Brazil and he's also the only one who got frostbite on that expedition as well and lost some of his toes. Um, <clears throat> but there's a great picture of him with this cat and the cat is the only member of the crew that actually died. So, uh, it's <laughs> yeah. kind of a, it's kind of a weird <laughs> thing to name your boat. But uh, it's also got a great story behind it, and we've got the picture and a little story on on the wall of the background of the 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 name for Mrs. Chippy. So it, it's yeah. a great thing to.
1: And, and that was the cat's name.
2: That was the cat's name. Yeah, that's right. Um,
1: and, and and now since then, you have got a cat on board. Yes, we but do. You didn't call it Mrs. Chippy.
2: No, we didn't because we don't want it to die. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> we we named it Nero. Yep. No, cool. All right. So, and from the point of view, from the point of view of uh, the registration process, you're in Marmaris. You've you've got all this work done, and you're still waiting to go. Now, I don't know what month this is, but you probably want to cover that because it's getting quite late in the season by now, right?
2: Yeah. So, before we left, right, I had talked to the broker, and he said, "Oh, it'll just take a week to get our side done." And then I talked to the Coast Guard, and they said, "Well, this is all you need to submit, and you can do it all via email." Um, but what happened, what would actually happen for us is the broker was supposed to submit PDF copies to us, and he did incomplete, incomplete scans, and not all the documentation that we actually needed, unbeknownst to us, right? And then he put it all in the mail to send it to Turkey. And so we did our first submittal with all the scans that we thought we needed to the US Coast Guard, and they said, I'm sorry, you need these other items.
1: Yeah. How many weeks since you landed in Turkey is it?
2: Right. Um, we, start, we started the registration process probably the 1st of August
1: right
2: okay so very soon after we got there yeah <clears throat> and we didn't we didn't have the paperwork until the
1: 17th of September okay yeah so so when you uh when you arrived Um, What were your expectations about what your sailing plans were going to be for that year? Uh, Because you obviously arriving in August. um, Typically people, let's say, let's talk about Marina de Ragusa, right? People would be leaving here about this time onwards, which this time being, well, today is uh, Easter Monday, 2nd of April. Um, But they'll be leaving any time through April. Mm -hmm. And by May, they'd be into their cruising mode. Um, June, they'd be really having a good month because it's not quite busy enough with the charter fleets, but, you know, there's plenty of spaces and so forth. July and August gets a bit squishy. Um, then September and October start to slow down again for the charter fleets. So the, the liverboards have more freedom. Um, but by October, they're starting to think, let's, uh, let's start wintering up. (coughs) Yeah. So, yeah. So, so you're in, you're in September, and you know typically october people are starting to think about coming back and wintering up uh and being wintered by november so you don't have much time left what was what were your thoughts about uh, what you would see in the first uh, part of or the first year so yeah so we were
2: expecting to be here much earlier but the process of selling a house the process of all selling two houses and um you know and getting all of our stuff together and moving out was just it just took a lot longer than we expected and we finally had a solid offer in uh in June and it was supposed to close in June and it didn't close until the end of July um didn't actually close until my last until a week after I quit my job uh, it was a little bit nerve-wracking um at that point, we thought, you know, we're kind of, we're kind of dedicated to this, according to what we've learned from the Coast Guard and this broker. We should be able to get some paperwork in two weeks and, and start sailing, and um, get at least, you know, two good, two good months of, of sailing in. And were
1: you, were you going to sail in uh, in Turkey or Greece?
2: The plan was to sail in Greece mostly. I think we were a little bit um worried about about turkey which i don't think we needed to be and once we got there we were pretty happy with with the security situation and and mm-hmm. the people that we dealt with and the access to everything um but uh yeah we did plan on spending most of our time in greece and getting out of there as soon as we could so it ended up that we we got to rhodes for my daughter's 12th birthday right and that's september 25th so the marina once we had once we had a a certified copy of the um uh, of the registration with the u.s they were they allowed us to to leave the marina but not the country right uh, so they allowed us to go to a place called Go Check, which was amazing. And we spent a week, a week and a half in Go Check and just enjoyed the heck out of it. Um, and that was our first sailing experience.
1: And and how did the kids adapt to, to, to life on the boat?
2: So yeah, that's right. So it wasn't our first sailing experience. We have some sailing experience, but it was our first week on a boat kind of experience, right? Mostly day trips before that. And the kids really... Didn't I didn't flinch really. We have Jill, the oldest one, has a little bit of seasickness, but if she stays up while we're underway, you know, she's fine. Um, The kids just thought it was normal life, really, and I think by now they don't even realize that this amazing, yeah, that they're living on a boat. Yeah, at one point over Christmas we we discussed getting getting an apartment here and we we looked at a few places, and what we realized was our boat is the most comfortable place to live in yeah. Marina de Rusa, you know it's yeah. got everything we need it's warm and it's yeah it's just it is it's become our home yeah and, and by then they've been living on the boat for six weeks, so
1: i, I heard there was a funny story about them getting used to where, <laughs> where uh where the bathrooms were on the boat,
2: <clears throat> okay, all right, let's talk so this is a week week after we've moved onto the boat um everyone's adjusting pretty well everyone's liking it they love their rooms um they they're excited about this new adventure and i'm a little nervous you know every sound on the boat is like what is that what, what what's 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 going on here is, is that a problem is that a leak you know and so in the middle of the night one night i hear this this kind of trickling noise and i think oh no We've we've sprung a leak, and I jump out of bed, and I throw open my door to go try and find this leak that's going to sink the boat, right? And I start getting wet. I'm getting wet and wet and wet, and my eyes adjust, and my son is standing there. He was peeing all over our door, And, (laughs) and he peed all over me. And after I calmed down a little bit and sent him back to bed and cleaned up the mess... I told Jess and she laughed her head off. And then.
1: Um, so, so, he, so he obviously was thinking that he was in the bathroom, but instead he was standing at your door. Yeah,
2: exactly. So, yeah. And this is my, my son, Nathan, who he is seven. Two nights later, same thing happens trickling noise i'm the boat sinking i jump out of bed whip my door open and i'm getting sprayed all over again and it's my son mateo this time <laughs> peeing all over me i have no idea well the theory i guess my wife has, my wife theorizes that uh it was the same path from their old bedroom to the bathroom and so therefore they thought that they could pee all over my door <laughs> and me
1: yeah so, so, that, so that, that was so, a bit of adjustment for them. Um, and how did you go uh, with the kids and friends? Because I know that when we were sailing, uh, one of the things that we were lucky to be able, to be able to do was this last summer we had a lot of visitors, and they had children with them. so we had company for our kids by actually bringing them onto our boat or bringing friends onto our boat. Um, And we found it sort of tough when you're out during the summer period uh, finding boats with kids on in the Mediterranean. Um, I think it's a little bit different in the Caribbean, but uh, over here it sort of was a bit tougher. How did you find that in the first few weeks of sailing? So, yeah, that
2: that was really, really tough for us. I, I think that was the toughest adjustment we had we have lots of friends in the states um really close friends that we love dearly and then we moved out here and the marina we went to was fantastic great services they had a pool they had all sorts of amazing things and access to the city but we were alone we were literally alone there was nobody else who spoke english around us um no kids at all and um yeah, that that first six weeks there were a lot of things that made me go, Oh, haven't made a real mistake for our family. Was this a bad idea? And um and what happened was we met a couple that that came sailing in to Marmaris, and they had two kids. And that those two days while they were there were the most amazing days for myself and for my kids. The entire time we were there. <coughs> And they hooked us up with a Facebook group, Sailing Med with Families, and, um, and Bianca, who's here in, in, Marma, or in, in Marina de in, in Ragusa, yeah. Ragusa yeah. had put out a post and said, hey, there's going to be some kids in, in Marina de Ragusa. And we decided right then and there we're, we're going, no matter how
1: hard it is to get from right. Turkey
2: all the way to Sicily.
1: And, so, uh, so maybe, um, because we've been talking for a little while, uh, Franz will probably want to break this up into two podcasts. So maybe if we call it quits at the moment and uh, kick off again uh, at a point where you talk about the sale that uh, yeah. you made over to here.
2: Okay, yeah.
1: All right, so uh, we're back here with Paul Manzano. He was just telling us about how he um, he was leaving Turkey and uh, looking at coming over to Sicily and uh, Marina de Ragusa because of some Facebook posts in relation to kids and, and wintering with kids to keep his kids company. Um, we, uh, he also found that uh, he was a bit short on time because the original plan was very different. Uh, instead of wintering in Mer- Marina de Ragusa, I think Paul had other intentions. Is that right, Paul?
2: yeah that's right we uh <clears throat> we intended to buy the boat and and sail all the way to to florida and and basically in one year um but by the time we got the paperwork it was the the end of september and we um we had to face reality that we weren't leaving the med and the fact that we wanted to see more of the med right uh, we didn't have the chance to do that so um we we re- and we also knew we wanted to be somewhere where there were other families for our kids to hang out with and people for us to to socialize with as well <clears throat> and so we made the decision to go to Sicily and it ended up being a thousand nautical miles for us, which in a car doesn't sound very, like very much but in a in a boat um it's a it's quite a long way, and we did it in uh we we got to Rhodes which is a day sail from Marmaris <clears throat> uh, for my daughter's birthday on September 25th, and we got to uh, Marina de Grisa, um the uh, the third of November. So, you know, just a month and a week, a month and two weeks, something like that, of, of sailing. And uh, but you know what, though, for us, that first first couple of months of Marmaris. Were the tough months. Those were really, really tough for us. They were hard for us. They were, we were having second thoughts. Maybe we did the wrong thing by doing this. But as soon as we got on the water, when we first got to go sailing to go check, everything changed, and we knew we loved it. We loved every bit of of the sailing experience. The the you know time. Tying your boat to a tree and and swimming and you know, taking your dinghy across to a little restaurant or mooring up to uh, a town key, just as as soon as that happened, um, everything changed for us and we had this amazing couple of months of sailing. We we started in Rhodes, we went up, um, we went up to Leros after seeing Simi and some of the islands there and then we crossed to Athens and um we did the Corinth Canal which is uh, you know a dream that I've always had of of going through the Corinth Canal and came across the Ionian and spent uh spent a couple days in an isolated island it's called One House Bay in the middle of the Ionian and then we hid from a storm and in uh meganesis and just met some incredible people that we ended up spending four days with while the storm passed and just just making friends everywhere you go you know it was it was it was incredible and and then when october came the the weather windows started to get shorter and shorter and shorter and near the end of october we were still in the Ionian,
1: and we knew we had to get here. Yeah. So, so at that point in time, you had already decided that you're going to uh, Marina de Ragusa for wintering. Um, and how did the boat go during the sailing process? Well, I mean, were all this, the engine, the sails, the anchor, the electronics, was it all <clears throat> what you wanted from it, or did you have any issues? So the
2: boat perform so much better than i ever expected um uh, my sailing experience has been on smaller craft uh no autopilot type stuff um everyone has to get to the high side when we tack that kind of thing (laughs) uh this this thing was just it was incredible for for sailing it's extremely easy to to single hand with an autopilot and uh, in mass furling and it, so that was amazing and then we did hit some really big seas a few times and what astonished me about it is how well the boat handled it and every time um, we hit something that was maybe a little bit scary for us <clears throat> um, the boat never flinched you know it, it, it always it always felt safe and like a place you wanted to
1: yeah, that's that's when you get to that story yeah. that, uh, and, and that saying that both your wife and my wife hate when you and I say the boat can handle it.
2: That's right. That's right, yeah. So the weather's getting bad. We're making a run for Marina de, de Ragusa, and there's a weather window that's kind of iffy, and I convince my wife that it's okay and we can go. And uh, we get outside Catania, which is on, on Sicily. We're crossing overnight from Catone. And the waves are just massive, and we have we have a big solar arch in the back of our boat. That's probably I don't know what you say three meters, three meters off the water. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and and you can't and you can't see the horizon. The waves are so big that when the bo- boat's in the trough, you all you see is this giant wall of water. And my wife is is freaking out, and I'm freaking out, but I can't I can't let her know. And I say, the boat can handle it, babe. Don't worry about it. The boat can handle it. And she's about to strangle me (laughs) because she's heard me say this like 50 times. And then a a wave actually came into our cockpit. And that was the the moment in my (laughs) life. That was the chink in my armor. And as soon as that happened, my wife saw that I was actually kind of a little bit afraid of it, too. (laughs) But in the end, the boat handled it. And it handled it beautifully. You know, the the waves would come, they were enormous, the boat would go up and the boat would go down. And we had a downwind sail all the way into the marina. It was just yeah. you know, it wasn't we had a a little bed sheet out for a sail, but it was just
1: yeah. it it the boat never flinched. And and so now that um that you spent a winter in Marina de Ragusa, which I think you know it, it might be worth saying that you know we find this place to be very good in the sense of it is a hole that it's a storm hole you know it's in the sense that you have 50 knot winds will go over the top of this place and the boats will be totally safe um you know you don't have a lot of surge you don't have cleats being ripped off in in very surgy conditions like in some marinas and the liverboard community here is fairly strong and it certainly has been the last two years that we've been here um, so maybe you could sort of briefly cover that and then maybe talk about what uh what your plans are for for this summer, yeah, yeah, so marina de Grussa is
2: is ideal for our family in terms of the people that are here. There was twenty kids, right, yeah, twenty kids and over twenty kids, and um they uh live on each other's boats really and the town itself is a real small place that you feel really safe in we frequently let the kids go to the beach by themselves not maybe not Mateo and Nathan but definitely Bethany who's nine and older they go to the beach and play in the sand by themselves without adult supervision so we feel really really safe here and um The people are, are friendly for the most part. You have to get used to the Italian culture. But once you, yeah, fieryness <laughs> But once you uh, understand that they're not actually mad at you... Um,
0: they just sound mad. They <laughs>
2: just sound mad. <laughs> but they're not. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally good. And, and Jack's right. There, there have been several storms here that have been up in the 50 knot, knots range. And we've always been comfortable. We've never you know, bumped into the dock. We've never you know, the <laughs> the mooring lines have always held. Um and yeah. and the staff when, when there is a big storm coming through they're always out here checking on checking on all the moorings just to make sure. So
1: it it's it's been great. And uh you know, we're sitting on the boat, but uh in in what, in about eight hours, nine hours time, um you're leaving Marina de Ragusa. That's right. 7 a.m.,
2: we're going back to Greece to hit some of the highlights that we missed on our way over here. Um, so, really sad about leaving some of the great friends that we've made here, um, but really excited about having some more adventures. And I think we're going to get to see a lot of folks on our way through. There's there's places we're going to cross paths, and we're going to have some good times on the water as well
1: so yeah yeah and and what is the sailing plan um yeah so so what is the sailing plan for greece or is it just sort of see how it goes and take it easy knowing that you can't do greece entirely um because you're looking at crossing is that right that's right so our plan is to cross in november december
2: cross the atlantic ocean in november and december and do the Caribbean. Um, the plan for the med is see as much as we possibly can, but not be in a rush. So that's kind of an oxymoron, but um, but we'll, we're going to do our best. The plan for now for now is we're going to sail uh, two nights, three days to a place called Catalonia, an island called Catalonia, um, and uh, check in at in Argostoli. And we'll spend uh, a week or two in the Ionian seeing uh, a couple of the islands that we didn't get to see last time, the uh, Caffalonia, and uh, what's the one with the shipwreck bay? Uh,
1: Yeah, good question. I'll have to look that one up. Okay, Jack will look that up for us. Uh,
2: And then probably hit the mainland and see um, uh, Mount Olympia. Uh, where the the Olympic the original Olympic Games were were held. Oh yes, okay. And then um, and then either go around south on the Peloponnese or go through uh, the Corinth Canal again. We haven't really haven't really decided, but we're gonna do the Cyclades islands, um, the central islands there in the in the um, Aegean Sea, and uh, do some of the Peloponnese, and then. Hopefully hit Crete. So hit Crete, then do the bottom end of the the Peloponnese and head back this way around
1: July. Right. And yeah, and that other island is Zacinthos, right? Zakynthos that's right. Yeah, Zakynthos
2: And then <coughs> July will July August we will do uh the top end of of Sicily. Uh, the island chain up the up near the top. We're also going to do um, yeah. Sardinia and Corsica, and then we'll probably jet over to the Balearic Islands, the Spanish Balearic Islands, and um, <clears throat> and uh, that'll be in September. So we'll do the Balearic Islands in September. And hopefully get out of the med going through Gibraltar in early October, late September. So and so then, yeah, go ahead, take
1: it. Yeah, so, uh, actually, I'll take a break. Uh, we're just going to take a pause. Some kids are coming back on the boat. So uh, we'll kick it off in a minute. All right, so uh, we're back here and um, we just had some kids return to the boat. So we... Uh, turn the microphone off for that had a little chat but uh just getting back to what Paul was saying in respect to his, his plans and I had a question and that was in relation to his plan was to first cross over on the first year but it's now the second year so you know Paul what's your intention when you get to the Caribbean are you going to keep sailing in the Caribbean for a while are you going to park the boat up go back to normal life or, or what what's happening on that side so yeah we 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 plan to at least do the one
2: season in the carib in the caribbean um we're gonna hit barbados and then sail north all the way up through the island chains to you know the bahamas and then florida and then when we get to florida we have a decision to make and originally our plan was to um To sell the boat and go back to to normal life, but we really we really love the lifestyle that you know we've been living. I mean, what's not to love, right? We have a lot of freedoms that we didn't have before. We have time to spend with our kids all of the time. We see each other twenty four hours a day, Um, and then we have these great adventures on top of all of that. So uh, we'd love to keep doing that. Uh, for me, that means that I need to find some remote work. I'm an engineer, so there's gotta be something out there that I can do. I've been doing some applications around and looking for some work, but, um, yeah, yeah. So I'm a mechanical engineer, uh, can do drafting. I can do a lot of stuff. I was a project manager for a long time. Uh, and hopefully we find something like that, that we, that I can, that I can do. And then when we get back to the States, um, we're gonna do a little reality check and decide whether or not we still wanna do this. Which I have a feeling that we do. I know that I do, mm-hmm. but yeah. it, it is gonna to have to go to a vote. <clears throat> my wife is uh my wife has a big say in that decision. But even even then, if we didn't if we didn't stay on the boat, we would want a similar lifestyle where we're not spending so much time apart. Um I think we'd want to keep homeschooling the kids. We want to keep working from home. We want to keep being together as much as possible instead of sleeping together and then leaving each other at six o'clock in the morning and then coming back exhausted and saying goodnight, you know? Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. So my dream is to keep sailing and go at least to Australia. <laughs> 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 but. Um, if I make it, it, well, when we make it back to Florida, it's that's just an incredible accomplishment with five kids, my wife, and a cat. You know, that's an incredible accomplishment. So I'm gonna be happy with whatever we decide, and but whatever that is, it's gonna be different
1: than before. Yeah. So, absolutely. Yeah. And um, and so so this season, you're gonna have a pretty long. Um, season really, because you're going to do summer here and then you're crossing. So you've got, you're crossing that November, December time. Um, and you'll have a reasonable amount of the uh, season over there in play. Um, so what do you think? You're going to be on the boat sailing around the place, um, right through to hurricane season. Is that right? That's right. Hurricane season 2019. So tomorrow is, uh... 3rd the
2: 3rd yeah. april 3rd and hurricane season ends in june or yeah. begins in june so um we're gonna have when is that is that 14 months
1: or it's 15 months i think it's gonna be um about 18 isn't it is it really no is it no i can't no be. no yeah, oh, yeah. it's <laughs> gonna
2: be 13 months.
1: 13?
2: It's going to be 15 months. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of sailing, which is going to be great. I, I cannot wait to actually be on the water
1: for that one. So moment. you're going to have April, <clears throat> May, June, July, August, September. In the med. October in yeah. the med. So that well, is in, in seven, Medi- months, yeah. Yeah, seven, seven months. Yeah, seven in the month. months in, in the Mediterranean alone. Yeah.
2: Seven months in the med, then we're going to have a couple months in in uh the Canary Islands in Cape Verde yeah and then we'll be in um in <clears throat> the Caribbean beginning in maybe late December probably early January and we'll have until um June to to get to Florida so that's that's almost another yeah that's another six months yeah so
1: yeah 15 months of constant sailing yeah
2: yeah uh yeah I'm really excited about that actually really excited about it part of me was a little bit disappointed that we didn't get out when we when we planned, you know, and we ended up staying here um but but, but you, it's been fantastic i mean,
1: but you're better you you're far better prepared for it now I mean right the other day didn't you just finish your making a water maker?
2: That's right, I did. I made my own water maker um it cost well i tried i tried to buy a uh, a really nice one from ecotech um but i got stuck in customs and it was a 3 month fiasco trying to get my money back and i at the end i only got i don't know 3 quarters of my money back for it because uh, of shipping costs and just it was it was a big fiasco, and so when I got here, I started looking into how how to make your own water maker because it's not that complicated, and ended up with a simple manually operated, uh, you know, it's a water maker with a it's a Dow membrane, um, but the trick is that you use a uh, pressure washer, in the place of a, a f- sophisticated high pressure pump and that pressure washer costs 70 euros and when it dies you order a new one on Amazon and
1: <clears throat> yeah
2: and replace it every year
1: so it it's, yeah. uh, so it's it's quite amazing uh bit of engineering in that sense because what it's cost you how much to put the whole thing together
2: the whole thing together uh, including the mistakes i made 12 1200 euros i think yeah so, okay whereas the one that i and, wanted and to buy was 700 Seven
1: thousand euros. Seven thousand euros, yeah, as opposed to yeah twelve hundred. So um and but it's also putting out fifty liters per hour,
2: is that right? so forty liters per hour is what I'm getting in the med uh out of the med, which is the the med's very salty compared to the yeah, rest okay. of the ocean. So you're supposed to get fifty liters an hour outside of the med. And I run it I can run it off my
1: solar. Yeah. Um yeah, so Okay, no, that's, that's pretty impressive. So, um, I'd say probably I'll pass on to Franz uh, your details here, and and you know, he can probably catch up with you on another interview when you're sort of in the at the other end of the Atlantic, or or maybe at the end of this season, uh, in the Mediterranean as well. that might be fantastic. Um, and if anybody out there wants to either get in touch with you or see what you're up to do you have any online um contacts or presence that you want to put out there
2: yeah so we have an, a public instagram account called uh seven on the seas and it's seven underscore on underscore the underscore C's, uh and it's uh, it's a little pun on our family size and and uh the oceans that we plan to cross. <laughs>
1: yep.
2: Yeah, and uh yeah, and anyone can join and anyone can contact us, contact us directly on the on the Instagram account as well.
1: Excellent. So thanks for that Paul. Um thanks for your time. Considering it is now um 10 past 11 at night and you're heading off at 7 in the morning, so uh sorry about having you do this at such a late hour. Um but there you go. I'm sure it's It's going to be a wonderful trip for you tomorrow, and I'll be here to wave you goodbye.
2: All right. Thanks, Jack.
0: Life is short. In the end, all that really matters is the memories you make. So make a few. Go sailing.